I had thought that closing the deal was supposed to be the most important thing. And when I just acknowledged to myself, you know what? Having a relationship, that's the most important thing. But included in that is serving my client to the best of my ability and doing what makes sense from how I see it. That changed everything. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hey, listeners of the podcast, we've put together an exciting community where you can dive deeper into the content of every single episode. And for those of you who join this community from the podcast, we'll give you an access to a course we've just put together worth $500, all yours for free, while we're sending this out to our listeners of the podcast. Simply go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash podcast to be eligible to get this course for free. And we look forward to seeing you in the community. Thanks again for listening. And now, Enjoy the episode. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Coming back on the Selling with Love podcast, I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell. Super excited for the guest that I'm going to bring to you today, where we're going to touch on a little bit of sales, results, clarity, really being a bit more productive in the way that we approach sales, not only in the strategies and the way of thinking about sales, but also the objectives we should have when we get into a sales conversation. If you're a small business owner or you're just getting started and you're trying to find ways to feel more comfortable about sales, which obviously subscribe to this podcast is a fantastic way to get started. This conversation is going to take it a step deeper as I bring a Sunday Times bestselling author, Jamie Smart with me, who's author of several books, including Clarity, Clear Mind, Better Performance, Bigger Results, The Little Book of Clarity, The Little Book of Results, and of course, the bestseller results, Think Less and Achieve More. We're going to talk a bit about clarity, how having this clarity helps us in sales, but also we'll talk about how to frame sales in a way that we can really be more comfortable doing it, setting objectives, which might not just be about closing to really be more effective and have fun in the process. So it's with my pleasure that I bring Jamie Smart to the show. Jamie, welcome, and it's a pleasure to have you here. It's so great to be here with you, Mark. And as you've heard me say, I love the name of your podcast because it seems to me that the love is so crucial to having a good experience of selling, especially when we're doing work that we're passionate about, when we're doing work that we love doing. And so it's one of those areas that I find that a lot of people who are really drawn to making a difference to others and creating their own businesses and that sort of thing, just a few tweaks around what selling means and that sort of thing can have a huge impact. So I'm so delighted to be speaking with you and your audience. Well, I'm so excited that you actually have this positive framing because as you probably know, this is not the default relationship that people have with sales. Most of the times when I have these conversations, it's manipulative, yucky. And this is really where a lot of the baggage comes from resisting sales in general. So it makes me wonder and make an assumption that you must have had a healthy relationship with sales that from the beginning or some event has reinforced the positivity around sales, or maybe is the opposite. <laughs> it, it's actually the opposite. I used to really hate sales because I had all that stuff. And what I didn't realize was that all the examples of selling that I had noticed in my life were examples of it being done badly. Like all our kind of cultural 
archetypes or like the used car salesman or the double glazing salesman or the not to disuse car salesman, but it, it was all this idea of pressure and cajoling and manipulating and all that sort of stuff. And the challenge I had, Jason, was I was doing work that I love doing and basically starting relationships with people who I cared about. And it just didn't add up that I'd be trying to manipulate them and all that sort of stuff. So I was uncomfortable about it. And I finally decided I was just going to figure it out. I was just going to do whatever it took, because what I wanted to do was something that seemed impossible to me. I wanted to fall in love with selling. And I talked to people who loved selling. That was their, that was their thing. And I noticed there was something different about them. And one of the things that really struck me was a game changer for me. I was talking to a guy. He was a photocopier salesman, but he loved it. He just loved it. And for him, it was all about relationship. And I realized, oh, well, it's all about relationship to me. So what's going on here? And what I realized was that for me, the relationship was more important than the outcome of any one transaction, any, any one sale. And what I realized, Jason, was I hadn't known that on some level. I had thought that closing the deal was supposed to be the most important thing. And when I just acknowledged to myself, you know what, having a relationship, that's the most important thing. But included in that is serving my client to the best of my ability and doing what makes sense from how I see it. That changed everything. It's funny, you know, when I'm having an enrollment conversation, I might for one-on-one -on -one coaching that I do. So I do a lot of teaching, but I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. My entry-level one-to-one coaching package is 50,000 pounds. So that's about, I don't know, $60,000. So that's a significant investment for almost anyone. And I'll say to them before I propose my package or that I've created or whatever, I'll say to them, listen, I would love to work with you. We can talk about this, actually. I've got my five rules for pricing, which might be worth getting into. I'll say, listen, I would love to work with you. I don't know if it's going to make sense for us to work together or not, but I want to have my cards on the table. And I'm going to be like staying in the conversation with them until we get to the heart of the matter and help. Like my focus in the sales conversation is continuing to build that connection and relationship and to help the client make the decision that's right for them. It's not like I don't care whether they work with me or not. I like them to. Like I'm not going to be proposing something to someone unless I want to work with them, but I want them to do what's right for them. And so like a service focus on helping them get clear on what's right for them in the deal. I love this whole mindset that you have. It's definitely something we encourage within this podcast. One of the premises we speak about is how loving the client is one of the first loves you need to have. And if you genuinely care for the transformation you want to deliver to them, that conversation is about seeing if what you're going to provide is so much more than what you're asking in return. And for those of you who are going to stick till the end, we are going to cover the ideas, the five tips and ways that you can help with your pricing. So definitely stick around for that. And what I wanted to make is a bit of a parallel, which is you mentioned double glazing, and I find that hilarious because I have seen the show White Gold. I found it hilarious. I have seen The Wolf of Wall Street. I was entertained. I looked at the scene of Glengarry Glen Ross where Alex Baldwin walks up and says, you know what it takes to sell real estate? Brass balls. I've had a laugh. I've had a rah-rah. But you realize that what's entertaining isn't necessarily 
what's educational and what's a good role model. And I think that's a big confusion that happens is the media keeps showing us these examples of salespeople like madmen. But as you've had the chance of speaking to the great salespeople, you realize those are caricatures of things that aren't the best way. The caring, the wanting to serve, the understanding the problem, finding a photocopier salesperson that's actually really passionate about what they do. That's the secret sauce, right? And so from that, I wanted to maybe distill a bit of the qualities you've seen in people that get more success in sales and things that we can nurture within ourselves to even be better and showing up and being able to close those deals. I'll give you the number one and this number one thing ends up playing out into everything else. It's going to be one that sounds like everyone's going to go, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, 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 I got that. Tell me, tell me something I don't know, but I really want to sit with this one. If I had a group of salespeople and their boss hired me to work with them and said, Jamie, you can only teach them one thing and they've got to double their sales with this one thing. What are you going to teach them? I'd say, you need to learn to listen. You need to learn to listen. Now, here's the thing, though. By listening, what I'm talking about is, if I ask people, how good of a listener are you? Everyone rates themselves at between seven and nine. They're like, I've got a little room for improvement, but I'm a pretty great listener. Everyone thinks that. But actually, when we dig into it, I find that almost everyone is waiting for their turn to talk. Yeah, they're listening, but they're thinking about what they're going to say and how they're going to say it and what their next point's going to be or that sort of thing. Now, we've been taught to listen like that, but you were born a listener. It's your innate capacity to listen that allowed you to learn to talk, that allowed you to learn to sense people's emotions and all that sort of stuff. And so the first thing I do when I'm teaching people to listen is I teach them to listen with nothing on their mind. Now, we all have an innate capacity to do that, but here's why it's so important. When you really, really listen deeply and follow your curiosity about what you're hearing, what you do is you create the conditions for a genuine sense of connection. You'd be amazed, Jason. Most people go through their lives day to day without any experience of anyone actually listening to them. And what you find, you'll literally, you'll go in to speak to a CEO or a company owner and they'll say, listen, I've only got 15 minutes, so go, tell me what you need to tell me. You start asking them questions and you listen deeply. They call their secretary and say, hold my calls. And you end up being there for an hour, an hour and a half. And in that process, you really get the client's world. So the thing that really strikes me is there are two things you need in order to close a deal, in order to sell something. Number one, you need to have a relationship with your client. They need to know you and like you and trust you. And the funny thing is, the way that you develop knowing and liking and trusting is through conversation. Now, that can be through listening in on a conversation. So you've got people who have listened to tons of your podcasts, Jason, so they will know you and like you and trust you because they'll have heard from you enough to have a sense of what you're about and that sort of thing. So that's one way to do it. 
the real-time way to do it is in a conversation. And so when you're in conversation with someone and someone's having the experience of really being heard by you, that's going to build that relationship. So the first thing you need in order to close a deal, you need to have a relationship where the client knows you and likes you and trusts you. Well, when you really listen to someone, when they really feel heard and really feel understood by you, that builds a level of knowing and liking and trusting like nothing else. But here's the thing, it's not a trick or a technique. You gotta actually do it. You gotta actually listen. And you listen, you get their world. And here's the thing, when you do that, you'll ask questions and you'll hear things and the two of you will discover things together about what's going on for them, about what they want, about what matters for them that they didn't even know, okay? So the first thing is that you gotta, gotta have to do a deal is you gotta have that trusted advisor relationship, okay? Now here's the thing, in my experience, it takes around about the same amount of time to build a relationship where you can close a $1,000 deal as it does to build a relationship where you can close a $100,000 deal. Like maybe you don't need much relationship to buy a loaf of bread off someone. But once you're talking about someone spending their time with you and opening up to you and allowing you to serve them in a transformational way, you got to have that knowing and liking and trusting. So that's the first thing you need. Second thing you got to have your client has to be present to some problem they want to solve, some goal they want to achieve, some change they want to make, some transformation they want to go through, some result they want to get. They got to be present to that. They've got to not only know what that is, they've got to have it in their mind and they've got to be aware of the benefit that that's going to make in their life. They got to be present to that. And one of the things I've seen with a lot of solopreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people, especially a lot of people who kind of are reluctant to sell, is they don't know how to listen. They don't know how to find out what someone wants, and they don't know how to get to the heart of what that person really wants. Well, here's the funny thing. Often they do know, because they'll often have been trained as coaches, or so they do know how to listen, they do know how to ask questions, and that sort of thing. That all goes out the window when they go into a selling situation. So it turns out that often the things that most qualify you for helping people are also the things that most qualify you for having a heart-centered, deeply connected sales conversation. I absolutely love this advice, and it's one that I keep reminding myself even as I host a podcast, a lot of times I'm having conversations with guests and I find it's actually quite similar to a sales conversation. And I've been doing this for a little while now. It's been almost 300 episodes on this one. And I realized that the more I let go about what am I going to say once that person stops talking, the more I'm actually able to do, as you say, listen, lead the conversation naturally because of that innate curiosity. And you mentioned that even in yourself where this innate curiosity needs to be there. Is that a trait that you can nurture or does that come from finding more clarity of purpose? Because sometimes people are like, I have a product. I don't care who the people are. I'm just going to push that. And I feel that's a big disconnect. Here's my sense. I think everyone is born with a ton of innate curiosity and then it gets kind of wallpapered over by the education system to a large degree. And so I think it's there in everybody. For some of us, we may need to kind of 
get back in touch with it. Like the way I think about it is if you're having a conversation with another human being, human beings are infinitely fascinating. Like how I think of it, the thing that gets me really curious when I'm having a conversation with someone, I want to get their world because I know before the conversation even starts that they see reality, they see life completely differently to how I do. They've got a completely different perspective on the world. And some of those perspectives are going to be really enriching and nourishing and positive. And some of those perspectives are going to be limiting and unhelpful and that sort of thing. Some of those perspectives are going to include their motivation to engage with you. And some of those perspectives are going to include their fears about engaging with you. So finding out about their world is so important when it comes to selling. So I kind of put my own perspective on reality to one side and I want to get their world. I want to kind of learn the person that I'm sitting with. I want to learn all about them and how they see it. Now, I really hear what you're saying about like, I don't care who they are. I just want to, you know, pile them high and sell them cheap and that sort of thing. That's okay if you're doing a transactional sale. Like I once was brought in to coach a company and these people, they were basically selling phone packages and having hundreds of conversations a day and that sort of thing. There was no relationship there. It was a one-off transactional deal. And literally the company didn't care about the long term. And so I get into that situation. I'm like, I don't like this. But I care about the people who I'm going to be teaching. So I look at, okay, well, what can I give them that's going to give them a positive experience of life and that sort of thing. But I think more and more with the way that the world is changing, the way that internet and social media is changing, the way that sales and businesses work, I think relationship is kind of the killer app, like building long-term relationships with clients, with customers, with community members, that's the move. That's the thing that's going to have people come back to you again and again and again and again. There's a very practical thing behind it, by the way. You got to invest a certain amount of time to build that knowing and liking and trusting to the point where someone's going to pay you. Well, if you go to all the effort of building that knowing and liking and trust, why would you want to just sell someone something once, wouldn't you want them to keep coming back and make sure they get everything they need from you? So I don't know, it just looks practical and it, it just looks like good business to me. I'd agree with that. And, you know, you even mentioned the fact that that relationship can be done at scale. You look at how I'm hosting a podcast, people get to have a listen with me. They build that relationship with, with me through the education or the value that I provide for them. And somebody was asking like, how do you close and ask for money for thousands of dollars transactions, sometimes in 15 minutes within the call. And I'm like, well, it maybe was a 15 minute call, but this came from hundreds of hours of interactions indirectly through social to watching through consistency. And I think those are little things that pile up where the sailor, the close is almost like saying, well, if I'm going to get married, you know, like, should I be getting on the left knee or the right knee? And do I need to hold the ring like above my nose or is it below the chin? And is that how it's going to help my conversion? And it's like, no, it's every single behavior before that's going to lead to prediction and trust and actually perception of doing good with you by knowing what you've done in the past and then knowing how the future could look as well. It's really interesting that you say that, Jason. My rule of thumb, and like you, I produce content and podcasts and all kinds of things. 
I'll have people who enroll on programs with me who have been following me for seven or eight years and never bought a thing. Then all of a sudden, they'll enroll on a 10,000 pound program. But I'll also have people, I can think of one person specifically who first heard of me on a guest speaking spot I was doing on someone else's show, and then within a week had consumed a bunch of my material, signed up for a program, then signed up as a 50,000 pound coaching client. So I've had both experiences. My rule of thumb, because I know when people hear about hundreds of episodes and hundreds of hours, sometimes they go, oh my God, I've got to wait. But my rule of thumb is actually that for someone to get comfortable with you takes kind of between four and eight hours. If they spend between four and eight hours with you, either listening to your content or having conversations with you or sitting in a seminar room or whatever it might be, that's going to be enough for them to know whether they... Now, some people might need longer before they can enter into a sales transaction with you, but between four and eight hours is my rule of thumb. I want to always make it as easy as possible for people to spend between four and eight hours with me in some way. And that's almost always digitally in the first instance. Yeah, I like that rule of thumb. And I've noticed that things like doing workshops online or challenges that are over multiple days, a few hours really helps you build that kind of relationship. So I find those things quite powerful. I did want to go back to one of the things earlier around how goal setting here shouldn't necessarily be about just closing the sale, but really being focused on the relationship aspect. And oftentimes this is what I hear as a complaint is, oh, well, you know, showing care, being curious, listening to these people, which I don't even know if they're going to buy or not, seems like it uses a lot of my time, a lot of my energy. Shouldn't I be looking to be more efficient and minimizing these distracting conversations? So is there a sort of way that you can balance how many conversations you should be having to bring the results you want, knowing that your goal might just be relationships, but doesn't translate to money right away? It's a really good question. So I do that kind of intuitively. So almost always the enrollment conversations I'll be having for a high-end program that's like 50,000 pounds or something like that is with people who have already spent a certain amount of money with me. So they're with people where we've already got a relationship and they've already made an investment. So if someone who I don't know gets in touch and says, hey, I'm thinking about hiring you as a coach. I'll do some stuff to qualify them first. And I'll maybe start with an initial 15-minute conversation just to set the scene and make sure we're in the same ballpark and that sort of thing before going into it. Because, yeah, my time's very valuable. So there are a couple of things. On the one hand, if you're just starting out, as best as you can, you want to be having conversations with people who are a good fit for your product and service and at your price point as well. So I'll often speak to people who are like, oh, I really want to work with 18-year-olds and I've got this program that costs $10,000. It's like, okay, how many 18-year-olds are going to shell up $10,000 for a program. It's like, who's going to pay for it? It's not that that can't work, but who's going to pay for it? It's like, well, their parents. It's like, okay, so you need to target their parents then. Their parents are the first client in the first instance and that sort of thing. It's just an example, but you want to make sure that there's a good fit and match. And actually, when we talk about the five-question pricing model, that can kind of play into that as well. That's one of the things. But the other thing is, to me, relationship is important, but you want to be 
effective with your use of time. So here's one of the things I've seen. I've seen this a lot with people who are uncomfortable with selling. They get into one of these conversations where they're being curious and caring and that sort of thing, but they're not demonstrating that it's a sales conversation. So I'll give me an example. I'll give you an embarrassing example. When I was like 12 years old, there was this girl who lived down the road from me and I really fancied her. And I invited her over to my place to help me study, but I didn't really want to study. I just wanted to spend time with her, but I wasn't being clear about that. And I didn't kiss her or anything like that. And it was kind of creepy and skeezy and she didn't come to my house again. And I learned a valuable lesson, which is you need to be honest and straightforward with people about what's going on. So if I'm speaking with a prospective client, Client. right at the beginning of the very first call, like within the first minute, I'd be like, hi, how are you doing? I say, great to speak to you today. Then I say, I say, okay, here's how this is going to work. We're going to have a conversation over the next 45 minutes and an hour, and I'm going to do my best to find out what's going on for you and see if there's some way that I can support you. And if there is, I'm going to offer to come back to you with some ideas about how we can work together. Does that seem fair enough? Now, the person at that point either says yes or no. I've never had someone say no. Everyone's like, yes, because what you're doing just in that statement, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to find out what's going on for you and see if there's some way I can help with you. And if there is, I'll offer to come back to you with some ideas about how we can work together. Does that seem fair enough? It's doing a bunch of things. Number one, it's signaling in a very clear way. This is a commercial conversation. We're not just having a nice chat. We're not just having a coffee. We're not just meeting up and caring about each other. This is a commercial conversation. It's a business conversation. Number two, it establishes leadership. It says to the other person, you can relax. I know what I'm doing here. This is not my first time. I know how to do this, so I'll drive. You just need to be you and answer my questions and that sort of thing, and this is all going to play out right. So that's the second thing it does. Third thing it does is it allows me to kind of clear my, it, it allows me to say, okay, I've set the frame of this conversation as a selling conversation. Now I can put that to one side and focus on getting this person's world and finding out if I can help them. So for the next 45 minutes or an hour, I'm not thinking about, can they afford it? What should I offer them? I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm just thinking about What's going on for them? How can I help? And get in their world and that sort of thing. And that's so powerful, just that simple frame. And then once I've had the conversation, once I know what's going on for them, I'll say, would you like me to come back to you with some ideas about how we can work together? And they either say yes or no. And they usually say yes. Now, then I come back with a proposal and they don't necessarily say yes. It just depends. But that as the kind of initial frame is a game changer for a lot of people because it takes off the pressure of trying to talk people into something or something like that. Yeah, well, I first off, for anybody who just heard that, that is one of the most amazing ways that you can start end a conversation to take away that pressure that happens with this idea is like, oh my God, what if they find out it's a sales call? It's like, no, it is a sales call and it's a beautiful thing, which again, touches to what you've ended with, which is the framing when you're doing sales interaction. Now, 
Jamie, not your first rodeo. There's some confidence that you've built, and maybe that's just a question of repetition, which oftentimes I find that's usually just what you need. But at the same time, there's almost this mentality that when you're a salesperson, you're like a beggar going to a king asking for their blessings. And I find that some of the most disempowering framing. And I don't know if you agree and if there's ways to shake that off in a better way to perceive this. So I totally agree with you. And I think that that framing that I showed, like, here's the other thing that it does. And I think this is so important. It's totally natural in a sales conversation that people will sometimes have fear of rejection, fear of getting a no, you know, fear that the person won't come through and they won't have enough money to pay their mortgage or whatever it might be, right? By making that opening framing statement, you're kind of taking that on the chin. You're saying, if you want to reject me, reject me now. You're not putting it off to the end. You're not waiting to, to, to the end of the conversation. You're bringing it right up front. Now, a lot of people are scared to do that. So it takes courage, it takes courage. But just by doing that, just by being courageous, that instantly changes the beggar before a king frame. Because it says, I'm taking a lead here, but this is a good time to talk about the five question pricing model, I think, because it speaks exactly to the framing that you talked about in terms of how do you change that. When I'm thinking about pricing a package, a program, anything like that, my first question is, what does the client want? Now, here's the, to me, here's the ultimate frame buster for what you just said. The client's not paying for you they're paying for the result that they want. And either the result that they want is worth the price that you're charging or it isn't. And if it isn't, they shouldn't work with you. And if it is, they should bite your hand off and, <laughs> and go for it. Like a, it's a very simple thing, you know? If I'm really hungry and want a pizza, if someone says, okay, I've got a pizza, it'll be $10,000. I'm like, no thanks, it's not worth it. So anyway, the first thing is what do they want? And I don't just mean, oh, they want a new car. I mean, what do they want? Like, what's the problem it's solving in their life? Why do they want it? What's that gonna do for them? What'll happen if they don't get it? Like that whole piece of what's the transformation that the client wants? This is by definition, when someone first sets out to solve a problem, they don't know enough about what's going on for them to make a good decision about who to hire. They just don't. Like if they knew that, they could just solve it by going online, right? When someone first sets out to solve a problem or get a result or make a change or whatever it might be, they don't know enough about the problem space. So they need your help to get clear on that. Question number one is what does the client want? Question number two, is that something I can help them with? If it's not something I can help them with, I don't wanna be having a sales conversation with them because like I wanna be referring them to someone who can help them. So number one, what do they want? Number two, is that something I can help them with? Number three, What's it going to take for me to help them with that? Is it going to take, you know, this program or this product, or is it going to take a week together in a tropical location? What's it going to take? So a lot of times when I'm working with someone, I start, if I'm doing a coaching engagement, I'll start with a three-day intensive where we go away to the countryside and spend three days in a different location because I found that that just makes a huge difference in our work together. It just gets people kind of like a year's worth of results in a very short period of time. But, but that's gonna be part of the, 
what's it going to take to get them that, that result? So question number one, what do they want? Question number two, is that something I can help them with? Question number three, what's it going to take to help them with that? Question number four, do I want to do that? Funnily enough, I had a prospective client and he's like, yeah, here's what I want. And we we're talking about doing a year together. He's like, but here's the thing for all the coaching, you're going to need to fly out to where I am. And it was like halfway around the world. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not up for that. I've got, you know, my loved ones here and that sort of thing. I don't want to be flying halfway around the world seven times a year or whatever. So question number four, am I up for that? Question number five, how much would I have to charge to be delighted to do this? Okay. The thing I often see, Jason, is that people are trying to answer question number five before they've answered question number one. They're trying to figure out the price before they know what the client even wants, before they know what the client's even paying for. So, and the reason I say, how much would I have to charge to be delighted to do this? I want a Goldilocks price. I don't want it to be too much, but I don't want it to be too little. If it's too little, there's a danger that I might start resenting the client. Like, ah, oh, geez, they want the moon on a stick for just, you know, 10,000 bucks or whatever. If it's too little, if I've charged too little, if I've charged too much, I might be insecure about, oh God, am I ripping them off or like, so I want it to be just right. And obviously that's something that can grow as you go along. But again, this is about authentic selling. This is about being real with your clients and real with yourself. Like everyone I know who's starting their own business, doing stuff they're passionate about, that sort of thing. You don't want to be a huckster or a, someone who's putting one over on people or anything like that. You want to be real with people. So it's about doing it in a way that allows you to be yourself and to have real, authentic, connected conversations with people and serve the hell out of them. Jamie, this whole conversation has been filled with golden nuggets that for people who are tuning in, you're going to want to replay if there's any particular part you want to dig deeper into. And one thing I found that was actually quite a takeaway for me is actually this five point pricing model. The last one, typically I'd always hear about, you know, do your pricing based on the value you provide for people. But that almost is part of the negotiation. That's not part of setting your price. And so being the pricing that is delightful for you to show up, fully deliver value and be comfortable doing it actually is an amazing framework. And I'm so excited you shared that. And I'm like, oh, it's an aha for me. And I know for a lot of people listening to this, it was a series of aha throughout the entire conversation. And to bring this to a close, there's a question I usually ask all my guests, and we kind of talked about it at the beginning, but I want to reiterate it one more time and just hear your direct answer to this question, which is, Jamie, being on the Selling with Love podcast, what does selling with love really mean to you? Well, it's funny you ask that. Like you asked at the beginning, did I always have this good attitude about it? No, I used to really dislike selling. Believe it or not, Jason, if I had a sales conversation in my diary, as it approached, I would hope that the client would cancel. Now, you can understand, as a business owner, that's not good for business, right? Like, that's the wrong vibe. The decision I made is like, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to fall in love with selling. Now, here's the thing. At the time, I didn't even know what that was going to require. I never dreamed that what I would discover is that falling in love with selling meant becoming more of who you are, becoming truer to yourself, becoming 
more invested in real relationship and authenticity and integrity, becoming less identified with ego and insecurities and things like manipulation and that sort of thing. So falling in love with selling meant less of all the stuff that I didn't like about selling and more of all the stuff that really matters to me, more authenticity, more love, more curiosity, more creativity, more enjoyment. But here's, here's the one that may have people go, more courage, more courage, because it takes courage to sell with love. It takes courage to be real with people. It takes courage to call it how you see it with a client, even though you may piss them off and they go, yeah, I don't want to work with you or whatever. Like it takes courage to be true to yourself and to genuinely hold your client's best interests at heart. But it's worth it. It's worth it. I love that you said this because one of the things I always mention is when you go and sell, you need to choose conversion over comfort because when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that courage you need to be convicted and to make them see from your point of view to bring the value to them, that's an amazing skill. And that's actually when you are curious, you are caring and you are leading. And that is an amazing, beautiful thing. Jamie, this whole conversation has been fire, has been an amazing time. So glad I get to introduce you to my tribe. For me, some of the biggest takeaways, as I've mentioned, pricing based on my own delight, because the exact price might come to a conversation and a negotiation. And if you understand the problem you solve for them and what it's going to take for them to transform, the whole model is so beautiful that when you start discovering more about them and how valuable it is for them to solve this problem, that's when you can see does it match the level of delight from your price point to the problem and severity of their problem that they are willing to pay for it? And when that becomes a match, that's when the transaction is absolutely beautiful. I love that we're opening relationships more than closing sales. This is the long-term success, doing it long enough to realize that it's a long game, having that curiosity. Everything that was shared within here is going to be something you'll want to check in again. And I just want to ask one more thing, Jamie, for those of you or who are listening who want to go deeper, find more of your material, we're going to put a link to jamiesmart.com. Is there any other resource people can find about you? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I've got a podcast called The Thriving Coaches Podcast, where we cover a lot of these concepts in a little more depth, and a podcast called The Get Clarity Podcast, where there's a bunch of everything from interviews with clients who have been through processes like this to recordings and all sorts of stuff. So there's that. My books you mentioned earlier, I run a program called The Thriving Coaches Blueprint, where we do a deep dive into this stuff. And there's a bunch of YouTube videos and assorted things. So here's the other one. I wrote a book called The Thriving Coaches Scorecard Book, and then I released it on the Thriving Coaches podcast. And that covers a lot of these concepts as well. So that might be interesting to people who like to listen to stuff. Fantastic. So you will see in the show notes, we're going to have a link to all these as bonus links. So you can go dive deeper into the world of Jamie Smart. Everything shared here, absolutely beautiful, super aligned with the vision of our podcast. And of course, if you're listening and you're applying these concepts, keep moving forward. And of course, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, 
and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.